Gratitude That's my everyday What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. Today's guest is Cam Nelson. Connected with Cam a couple months ago. Um, he's he's connected to a few people in the same community that I'm involved in, same mastermind program, just really focused on that spiritual journey and that self-development path, trying to become the best version of himself. We got connected through a couple mutual friends, uh, and he is an incredible man, has an incredible story, and does a lot of really interesting things. Uh, he reached out to me to do a little bit market research. He's starting a program, which we discuss a little bit in the podcast, um, working with elite athletes using, and he, so he's a slackliner. And if you don't know what slacklining is, uh, there's going to be some links in the show notes. We talk a lot about it during the episode, uh, second half of the episode, uh, what slacklining is, um, it's incredible. So when I connected with him, he shared with me what it was. I was still kind of like trying to picture it. Uh, Cause I know those like tightrope things you see at the park that people are going on, but I mean, slacklining is like crazy. He sent me a video and I'm going to put that link in the show notes so you guys can check it out. It's just absolutely incredible. They like put these ropes over these huge, huge cliffs and basically tightrope across them. Some of them do tricks like flips and stuff. It's absolutely one of the most insane sports I've ever seen. And, you know, he's doing this program where he's taking a lot of the lessons he learned from slacklining uh, into using them as metaphors to help elite athletes find their focus and presence and connection um, and being able to perform at their highest level, uh, moving through the limiting beliefs and stories and doing a lot of really good work in the world. Uh, in this episode, we also talk about his journey with psychedelics, his connection to God and spirit and how that's evolved uh, through things like slacklining. Um Really amazing episode. Uh, really excited to share it with you. I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy. Uh, before we jump in, I do want to share uh, a little bit about the Heart Collective. For those of you that listen to my podcast and that follow me, really passionate myself about helping former professional athletes building community and hosting incredible retreat experiences. Our next epic retreat is going to be uh, first weekend of September for former male professional athletes only river rafting trip. We also have a private healing ceremony retreat in Utah. That is an invite only. If you are interested and you're a former athlete uh, looking to kind of dive deeper into this healing journey, uh, reach out to me directly. I'd love to share more information with you and get you involved if you feel called to something like that. I also want to give a shout out to my wife, Sarah. Her business is really starting to take off. Growmotely.com. It is a fully remote culture building job finding, community building, all the things uh, work. So if you're if you're building a team, you know, for me, even if you're doing like a side hustle and you're you're you know building a coaching program on social media, like for me, it's it's a whole full time job, right? And so finding and building a team that can really help support you in your vision for me has been an absolute game changer. I actually use Growmotely. Uh, a couple of my employees I found off their platform and uh, really, really excited about what she's building. Uh, it's going to be massive and it's just continuing to expand and grow. If it's something you're interested in, if you're looking to build out a team and need some help uh, with all the backend stuff uh, in the process, it's all automated right on there. And it's really, really simple to use. And you can find uh, really good talent globally. And if you are open to working remotely, it's literally the best tool I've seen out there and it helps uh, build culture remotely as well. Uh, and also on the other side of that, if you are someone looking for work, looking to, uh, to, to be a part of a culture and a vision that you're really aligned with, 
uh, go check it out, growmotely.com. Use the link in the show notes. Um, and I would really appreciate it. Just check it out and support my wife as well. Um, if you really like this podcast, uh, also an opportunity to sign up for a premium model. I have extended episodes like this one where you're going to want to stick around because uh, Cam dropped some serious knowledge um, for the extended episode, but that is only available to premium members. And to become a premium member, it's very simple. There's a link in the show notes. It is $7 a month. You get extended episodes. That's, you know, I do it episode a week. So that's four extended episodes plus other premium content, like little short hit, quick hit motivational stuff uh, and other opportunities to drop into live podcast recordings uh, over Zoom. So you can actually interact with the hosts and uh, other amazing content. Uh, really goes a long way. If you feel called to support this podcast financially, I would very, very much appreciate it. I do have a whole team that's helping me produce this. Uh, like I said, it's it's a game changer. And, and in order to support that, uh, need to make in a little money. So if you want to, for the price of a one Starbucks latte, you can really support this podcast and, and my vision and what I'm trying to build and, and support uh, and be of service to the world. I'd really appreciate that. If you don't feel called to support financially, that's perfectly fine. A really huge way that you can support me in this podcast is by leaving a five-star review, saying a few nice words about the podcast. If you're a regular listener and you haven't left a review yet, I would ask why not. It really goes a long way in helping build the podcast, expand the podcast, reach a wider audience. Uh, So if you feel called, please just press pause and go do that really quick before you dive into this episode. Uh, And if anything in this episode um, resonates with you and you think it might have a positive impact on somebody you know, uh, go ahead and share this with them. That's really how we, uh, you know, my intention behind this podcast is to really just engage curiosity within the collective so that we can fully understand that we don't really have the answers. And so we can develop a deeper compassion for other people and their stories and, you know, work on healing um, this collective experience. I think the world needs it now more than ever. Uh, so you can do your part by really sharing this this information in this podcast with anybody that comes to mind uh, and get them on board. Um, it's really about this healing journey we're all on and uh, nobody is better than the next. And we're all just here to show up and support and be of service to one another. That's a great way to do that. All right, I'm done talking. This intro, enjoy the podcast. Cam Nelson on the flutes. Thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for sharing. Man, you are so welcome and thank you for having me. Yeah, brother. I, I mean, it didn't really, I don't know if it came through super clean. So hopefully it did for the listeners, but it was really beautiful and I really appreciate you sharing. How long have you been playing the flute? Where did that kind of come from? <clears throat> Man, I've been playing the flute for about a year, about a year now. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it came from the inspiration of so many of my friends that are really musically talented and seeing how much fun they have playing music, whether it's the flute, the didgeridoo, the guitar, um, the piano, their own vocals, um, or the looper, you know, they're just having so much fun. And that's something that I wanted to cultivate in my life. And I had a lot of stories growing up that I couldn't play music. I couldn't create. Um, I wasn't an artist. So yeah, it just felt like time to break those stories and those barriers. And the flute was a really good instrument for me to start doing that. And uh, now at my house, we have a flute, four didgeridoos, uh, two jaw harps. Um, uh, what do you need four didgeridoos for? Uh, play. We have, <laughs> we have four people playing at once. Does it just make such epic sounds or what? 
we've had we've had three people play at once um wow. yeah so so one of the didgeridoos that i have is a slide didgeridoo which is really unique because it's like two pieces of a didgeridoo and based off of how far the um the piece that you're playing from the mouthpiece is from the second piece you can play different notes and different tones oh, wow. so yeah it allows you to almost like freestyle and improvise and um drop in with like electronic music if you wanted to wow do you, so do you play any other instruments currently do you put, try and you learn all that stuff or is flute the kind of go to um i would say like flute is the one that is very easy for me to just pick up but i've been playing the didgeridoo on and off for about five years hmm. and it, yeah it can be it can be um i haven't gotten circular breathing down yet and that's kind of infuriating is that the key? Yeah. Is like continuous breathing you have to do? Yeah. So the thing with circular breathing is like you're inhaling uh, through your nose at the same time that you have like a pocket of air in your mouth and you're like moving that pocket air out your mouth at the same time that you inhale to refill your air. So it's just, it's super technical and really I just haven't spent enough time practicing it. Yeah. That's what it's all about is practice. I need to get you, uh, you know, on a call after this to, to teach me some flute. Like Sarah, my wife got me a flute. Um, and I, I don't know if it's like, I can't get it right where it's, it just doesn't work. Right. Cause like, or if I'm not using my mouthpiece, right. But I definitely need to get with you cause cool. I felt called to, to do the flute as well, but I just haven't really figured out the piece that I got. And I don't know if it's just broken. Maybe it's just, I'm broken. <laughs> Yeah, you're definitely not broken. And I have a feeling that the flute's not broken. It's pretty simple. Uh, you just need to make sure that one piece is lined up on the flute. And then from there, you're either walking upstairs or walking downstairs. And if it's a six hole flute, then you want to make sure that the fourth, fourth hole is plugged. And if it's a five hole flute, then that doesn't matter. Okay. Um, I think it is the yeah. piece, like that, that initial piece where like the sound comes out. I think that's not aligned, right? So we'll get that checked out. Let's talk about like music and vibration and connection to kind of God and spirit and, you know, the importance of music. And when you play an instrument like the flute, like how, how does it help you drop into um, that, that presence or that connection or however you would want to explain it? Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting mirror. I've noticed that music for me has been a mirror and when I think too much about the way it sounds or like if I'm in rhythm or in sync with some of the people that I might be improvising with, uh, especially when it comes to like playing a drum, um, then I feel really disconnected from the moment, from God, uh, from myself. And I'm like really up in my head. But when I get out of my head and I just focus on how good it feels to be in the music. That's when things tend to flow. And I feel like at that point, it's the music's not coming through me. And I know a lot of musicians and artists and performers and athletes say this is like when they're in the zone, when they're in that flow, it's, it's like, it's not coming through them or it's not them themselves. It's something higher um, and wiser than them coming through them. And music has been a really good tool for me to connect with that, especially with the didgeridoo and definitely the flute as well. Like some of the most beautiful and fun flows that I have with the flute is when my eyes are closed. Um, they're probably rolling back a little bit because I'm entering this like alpha state within my mind. Um, and it feels like I'm just connected to God. I love it, man. Let's talk about, talk about God and your relationship with 
you know, the, the, the intelligence that is greater than the self, right? Whatever you want to describe it as. I mean, I think God for me was, is, is the term that obviously like everybody uses, but it, it had so, I had so much resistance growing up to the word God and the idea of what I thought God was, this grew up in a Christian household, this man in the sky that is kind of wrathful, judgmental, creates a lot of fear, need to follow him. And it just it carried a lot of resistance. So I went on this path of really trying to discover for myself what that connection was. And it's been a really beautiful journey to get to that point. So what was your journey like to really, you know, find that personal relationship and connection? Is it something you kind of grew up with or is it something you had to really discover and find for yourself? Um, both. Yeah. So I, I didn't grow up in a religious household. I mean, um, I, I went to church two or three times once with my folks when I was baptized. I remember, um, maybe one more time after that. And then two times with like family friends and it, it just wasn't, it wasn't really my vibe. My parents didn't really talk about God that much. Um, they were really busy with work most of the time. Um, and I came to find that my relationship with God was one that I got to create for myself. I remember being like a middle schooler and a teenager and feeling this call to meditate. I didn't really listen to it, but I felt the call. And you just felt it intuitively to like meditate. Yeah. Illness. Yeah. Uh, like, like I heard the whispers and I was still like, mm, you know, I would rather just play video games instead. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it took a few years, um, before I finally started to listen to the call and act out or, um, yeah, yeah, take action towards it. And I feel what really started to create some big shifts for me was when I sat with mushrooms for the first time. I had the opportunity, um, from a friend when I was 18, he gave me like an eighth of mushrooms and I, ended up just like sitting by myself in my room, listening to the Fleet Foxes whole discography on an eighth of mushrooms, just like laying in my bed. And that was the first time I was like, oh, actually this feels like the deepest connection to God that I've ever had. And then now at 26, eight years later, I've had a lot of opportunities with psychedelics, with going on trips out in nature, um, making music, creating um and and even in being in like really tough spots but knowing that i still have a connection with god and i can communicate with that um that version of myself yeah it's beautiful man let's talk about uh, you know psychedelics because i think you know for me it, it was a really powerful experience as well i didn't do mushrooms till i, was, I think i was 26 i was in colorado in uh, crested butte it was really beautiful snowy mountains and i just kind of just went on this walk and I had so much fear around mushrooms, all the stories growing up, all the, you know, the collective narrative that's been pushed that it kind of melts your brain. You can have a bad trip, like all this stuff. And I, growing up in the Christian church, like I was always told about Satan and demons and you better be a good person. And, you know, the mushrooms was the story of, you know, if I do mushrooms, all of that shit that I've kind of suppressed, which is like what the church really tells you to do is like absolve yourself of responsibility of working on your own stuff and like, just give it to Jesus. And I was just so nervous that like all of that stuff would come up. I didn't know what I was holding inside me, but like, I didn't want to experience it. And so there's just all this fear and I finally experienced it. And it was just like all of that fear kind of released. And I think, you know, the set and setting obviously is talked about a lot in a psychedelic space. And so I, I think I was, I, you know, I had my, my girlfriend at the time, it was kind of like watching me and she wasn't on mushrooms. So I kind of had that sitter. And then 
I was out in nature and it was just like, I felt so connected and open up and like that veil became so thin, but there's so much fear for people around psychedelics. And like, I think it's, we live in a really beautiful time where it's kind of the psychedelic renaissance is, is kind of coming back to fruition and they're doing a lot of studies on it and how it's really helping. So, you know, and it's just such a, an experience of the numinous, right? You, you actually experience God, but like, how would you explain that to someone that hasn't done mushrooms, but maybe is interested? Maybe someone that's listening to this podcast is like hearing everybody talk about psychedelics, but they just still don't know how to do it. And, and like, what was that experience like for you? And how could you kind of share that in a digestible way for someone that might be interested? Yeah. Hmm. So the experience for me was connecting with aspects of myself that were wiser than the the consciousness that I was operating at the time. Like it allowed me to take a pause from the normal lens in which I was seeing reality and to perceive things from a different light, you know, like have, let's say I'm looking through one window, I'm able to walk through the house and, and see what I was looking at from a completely different window. And that within itself, just, it, it helped me out tremendously. Um, and for those that are curious about psychedelics and what they may offer them, I, I think the thing that I would just recommend is listen to your heart and listen to the call. And, and if that's there, then there's something there for you. And if it feels like you're trying to force it, then, you know, wait, like these, these medicines tend to come to you exactly at the time that you need them. Um, and just in my own experience, like I have gained so much benefit from this medicine, these different types of medicines that it's, it's really hard to say that they can't help anyone because I've experienced so much change within myself. Do you mind sharing maybe some big shift or experience in what medit like, like you've done, you know, a wide variety of psychedelics, I'm assuming at this point. Um, what was kind of one of the most powerful experiences and what was one of the insights that came to you, if you don't mind, you know, sharing like, cause a lot of people that are, might be new to this, they, you know, we talk about it as medicine and it's, I think it's hard for people to kind of like make that distinguishment because we've, you know, been pushed so much that they're just drugs and drugs are bad. But when you do it with intention and, and reverence and proper facilitation and you go in there to really like bring the intention of doing some deeper work and uncovering the deeper parts of your unconscious and psyche. Cause I mean, it's, it's kind of known that we're only aware of like 5% of our total kind of conscious. There's a lot of underlying things of how we interact with reality, whether it's triggers, just automatic behaviors, habits. And so psychedelics can, you know, pierce the veil and, and allow you to bring some of that unconscious material to your awareness so that you can look at it and start healing it. And that's where the medicinal part is. So maybe uh, if you don't mind sharing, maybe a, a powerful experience that you had um, that someone might, you know, be inspired by. Yeah. So there's two things that come to mind. The first is when I had my initial experience with mushrooms and I was, you know, by myself in my room on what we consider, what most would consider a pretty high dose of mushrooms, an eighth. And I just had this feeling of not being alone anymore. Like there was a lot of stuff going on back home. Um, and granted I was like going through it with my family, but I felt like I was so, so alone within it. Like they weren't listening to my needs. They, they weren't really paying attention to my perspective and, and where I was at and the pain that I was 
I was feeling. And at the time I didn't really know how to articulate it. And I know that they were just doing the best that they could just as I was doing the best that I could. Um, yeah, the mushrooms really made me feel like, Oh, this is a part of your process. Like there's deep lessons for you here and you're not alone in it. You have a lot of guidance. You have a lot of support from forces that you may not see. And I felt like I tapped into my spirit animal, the first spirit animal that I was aware of. And that was a bear. And I was just like laying in bed, feeling myself as this like wise 60, 70 year old bear with like glasses on that just was, was chuckling and so vibrant and, and joyful and grateful for the situation that he was in because, you know, he, he knew it was impermanent and that it was, it was a beautiful thing for him there. And then the second, the second trip that comes up to mind was my second time when I sat with ayahuasca, my second night with ayahuasca, I went down to the jungle of Peru um, in the Amazon, just outside of Iquitos when I was 21. And I encountered a shaman um, and his family when I was in Iquitos and they took me out to their home about 16 hours down the Amazon river. And I got to sit with the medicine, brew the medicine with them, collect all the different plants um, within the jungle. You were just, and, you, were just you just randomly ran into this guy. Um, I, so I went to Iquitos with the intention of creating this experience for myself. Cause okay. I heard the call to sit with ayahuasca um, at 19. Yeah. And, and how was the experience I, going? Sorry. How was the experience going down on the, like on the river? Did you guys get into like the indigenous tribe boats and like go, they like brought you down. How did that work? So we ended up, yeah, we ended up taking a launcher, which is like this three-story houseboat. And on the bottom story, they end up having like a bunch of livestock and crops. So if I remember correctly, there was one cow and a few pigs and maybe some chickens. And what they end up doing is stopping at different villages along the river and like bartering and trading and exchanging these different goods. Um, and so that, that was like 12 hours. Um, and so the second and the third story have like a few rooms and then a bunch of poles that people can set up hammocks. So I ended up going with the nephew of the shaman down the river and we, yeah, it was like raining the night that we were going and we were just like posted up in these hammocks under, um, like the third floor. So, so that's what the, the launch is like. And then we got on like a smaller motorized boat that could fit maybe like three people um, to end up going to his property where his uncle and the rest of his family lived. And at that point, when like we pulled up, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm like really out here. Like if yeah. this goes, if Exposed. this goes bad, like no one's going to know. Yeah. Are you by um, yourself? Yeah, I was by myself. Like no service or anything out there, like no kind of emergency, like any kind no. of way to get out. You're just in there. So how did that make you feel? Like if you dropped into like when you first got there, was there, I'm sure there's excitement, but was there a little bit of fear? Oh yeah, for sure. I had to surrender. I remember pulling up and being like, okay, I'm freaking out a little bit. The only thing that I can actually do, and I didn't have the words for it at the time was, but I'm pretty sure my soul was just speaking to me and telling me to surrender. Mm. Um, and trust because I felt like that was the only thing I could do or I could freak out. And I mean, like, what good would that do me? Yeah. I mean, that's a powerful lesson. I think ayahuasca kind of teaches everyone is this, this idea of, of surrender. And I think until you really fully 
experience like not being in control, which is kind of like, you know, that's like a microcosm acute lesson for what's really happening always, you know, and especially with what happened collectively with COVID, like so many people kind of freaked out because we're going into this unknown and we like kind of losing control of our lives. And when you can learn through an experience like ayahuasca, and it's fascinating that ayahuasca was kind of preparing you for the actual ceremony even beforehand, where it was like kind of teaching you how to surrender into it. Like you really have to learn to, to surrender and that's letting go of the of the stories of, of the outcome of attachments of trying to figure it all out and really surrendering into what is coming and what is meant for your life in the moment. Um, so talk about, you know, kind of going through the experience into the first ceremony and, and what was that like? Yeah. So the experience going into the ceremony was really beautiful because I had this like really unique opportunity, um, to go through the Amazon. The only plant that we had prior to going through the jungle was the chacruna leaves because um, the nephew of my shaman, he needed to get those in Iquitos and bring them with us. But then after that, like we ended up going to different spots along the river to collect like the ayahuasca root and then some other barks and plants that ended up going into the brew. And then I got to sit with them for eight hours and brew the medicine. Wow. And, and that's something that I really wanted because I, I've heard about these people having a very touristy experience where they go and they sit with a bunch of people in ceremony that they don't even know. And then they end up having like the brew already put together for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was, but I just, I didn't feel like that's what I wanted. Um, and and yeah, so, well, so, so just for people, the listeners, so, so the ayahuasca, like when you talk about ayahuasca, it's, it's usually a mixture of two main components, which is the chacrina leaf, like you're talking about, and then the ayahuasca root or vine, and then they mix them together. And sometimes different tribes do with different added, different plants and stuff, but it's all natural from the Amazon forest and they like mix it together. And it's really beautiful because being a part of the brewing process, uh, um, I'd love for you to kind of share what that was like. And was, were there, was there songs or music or ikaros being sung into while they were brewing? Like, how was that intention when you guys were actually in process of brewing the, the brew? Yeah, so there weren't any ikaros um, sung at the time. It was a lot of just like setting intention, connecting with the medicine, um, being present there for it, having a lot of the water like boil down um, from this like massive pot that we were cooking with and then smoking mapacho and blowing the mapacho smoke. So the tobacco smoke from the Amazon into the brew. And, you and I have type of, uh, of connections or psychedelic might be experiences or visions while you're doing that without actually having ingested any of the medicine yet. No, no, yeah. not at the time. Yeah. yeah. And then and so I don't remember everything from the first night, but I do just remember this feeling of like starting out the experience as almost like this seed and, and witnessing this seed being planted into the earth and like getting nutrients and getting sunshine and then like starting to grow roots very slowly and then becoming a sapling. And then, you know, over the course of 30 minutes, becoming a full-blown tree. And then as I was scanning up towards the very top of the tree, I felt like this eye of um, what felt like ayahuasca peering into me. And the only thing that she said was nice. And then she completely (laughs) disappeared. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, and, and it, it, it just, it felt like for me at the time, kind of like this, this evaluation of where I was and just who I am. And, um, just based off of the nice, it felt like she approved and then mm. she disappeared and, and then just like the experience of having this medicine from the jungle while you're in the jungle and listening to the music of the jungle, it enhances it in a way that I don't know that you can experience if you were to do it in Colorado or Austin or Sedona or anywhere else in the States. Um, I think there's, there's a magic that comes from being in its home mm-hmm. that you can't experience anywhere else besides there. Absolutely. Um, but to, to circle back to the second experience that I really wanted to share with you, I had the opportunity with ayahuasca to lay on this mat and for a few hours observe light clouds, people, experiences, trauma, pain, everything in my life having led up to that point in my life as, as individual things that would show up like a cloud into my awareness and I could give gratitude and really feel, and then it would pass and then something else would come up. So like, let's say my mom came up, I would be able to feel that love for her, that love that I've experienced from her, offer my gratitude, um, offer my forgiveness for whatever came up, let her go. Um, There was a girl that I really hurt and I was able to like experience the gratitude that I had for her and the pain that I caused her and to just like offer my forgiveness and, and then to let her float away. And then, you know, like water came up and to just like really appreciate how important water is and how integral it is to our lives and to give that gratitude that I had for water and to, you know, let that go. And then just these things continue to trickle and, Honestly, that was the first gratitude practice that I've had. Um, and if it wasn't for the medicine, I, I don't know if I would have the depth of gratitude practice that I do now. Mm. And each of these medicines have offered a, a different layer of myself, of, of viewing myself, of processing trauma, of being able to perceive different pains that I've experienced as teachers and lessons that are here for me, as opposed to things that have happened to me. Mm. Um, and, and the medicine that I've connected with the most as of late, I would say is Wachumo, which is like grandfather medicine. Um, and it has this very divine masculine presence. It's, it's a medicine that's so fucking present and connects you with nature. And for me growing up, um, I didn't really connect with my mom's dad. I saw him just a handful of times growing up. And then my dad's dad passed away when I was five. So I didn't really have these strong grandfather role models. And the Wachuma medicine has been able to fill that role for me. And it's very personal because it's like this relationship that I'm having with myself and this medicine that's all internal. But I know it's impacting the way that I'm able to show up and to lead as a man and one day to serve as a father Mm. um, and eventually a grandfather. And yeah, I just, I've come such a long way because of the psychedelic experiences that I've had. And not to say it's the only thing, but I can't discount them. No way. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I definitely agree. Um, Well, just real quick, like what is, what is like the biggest transformation? Like if you could just sum it up briefly 
like before ayahuasca and after ayahuasca? Like what is the big thing you can point to that's like, that's what shifted in me that's changed me forever? So I felt it after I had finished my three nights of ayahuasca and I was on the launcher going back to Iquitos. There was this beautiful sunset as we were on the river and I was like seeing some pink dolphins swimming next to us on the launcher. And I just sat with that and I felt this profound shift of like, oh, that was my first rite of passage. Like I went into the jungle a boy and I came out of the jungle a man. Mm, that's beautiful. I want to definitely dive into that because I think, you know, in all the work that I'm doing, and obviously we're both on the same journey of really healing, especially that the masculine side of us. And I think collectively we've had this, this kind of immature masculinity, right? And um, a bunch of, you know, I work with a psycho-spiritual coach that's been, had a real profound impact on my life. And, you know, I ask him a lot of the, like, you know, what's the issue? Like, what, what can we point it all back to? And he, with conviction, can say we have a bunch of uh, boys walking around in men, men bodies, right? They haven't ha gone through that rites of passage. They haven't, you know, died of that old way of being to step up into what it means to be a man. I think it's one thing that's really missing in our culture in the current times and age. We don't have any ritual process. We don't have any uh, rites of passage going from boyhood to manhood. And I think that's a huge issue and it's showing up in, you know, business and politics and family dynamics. Like people don't know how to lead and they don't know how to lead from the heart and they don't know, you know, what real masculinity is. And I'd love to get your perspective on kind of what it means to, to be a man and to, you know, heal these parts of yourself that you, so you can step up and be, you know, that divine presence, which is really what masculinity is, is how to hold that space and be present, um, you know, for the feminine and for, as a leader in, you know, your own life and your family dynamic and, you know, collectively showing up to be of service to the world. Yeah. So I, I feel like you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to being a man. It is being in that space of like, stability, support, structure, holding the space for the feminine. Um, as I'm learning more about the mature masculine, it seems like it goes beyond just the relationships that you may have with the feminine outside of yourself. And it really comes down to being able to hold that space of the masculine internally so that the feminine within you can also come out and express and create and trust and have faith and, and that's kind of like what I'm seeing as my role as a man, especially with the practice of slacklining and highlining, like balance is so integral and the energies of masculine and feminine to be able to balance those in my life makes my practice better to be able to balance in my practice makes the balance of the masculine and feminine energies in my life better. And I feel like that's something that a lot of men are, are missing an understanding behind. And they associate feminine with either uh, women or homosexual weakness. men. Yeah. yeah. Or, or weakness too. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a disassociation from that yet the feminine energy is, is like creative life force. It's so mm -hmm. powerful. If mm -hmm. it wasn't for the feminine energy, we wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you, you can't have one without the other, like we need both. So to be able to cultivate and hold space for both internally allows men moving forward to do that even better for, for women in the world. And then vice versa, you know, like women being able to hold that space for themselves 
internally is going to make the way they're able to hold space for men moving forward even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think, yeah, part of it is like, you know, the idea, the old idea of like what it means to be a man and like pushing down emotions and be strong. And it's, it's almost like the immature masculine stifles and pushes down, allowing the feminine to kind of take shape and have a, have its full expression within a man's body. Right. And like in his energy field. And I noticed like the more I've connected with my feminine aspects, which is like that, that creative life force, that flow state, that connection to the divine. And it, it is kind of chaotic. And so the masculine holds presence so that that can kind of come through. And a lot of times it might not make sense, but like surrendering into it, and allowing it to flow. And when you find that balance within yourself, you can really, that's when you can really embody what masculinity is because you fully understand the feminine. And then that will directly impact your relationships with women because then you can see them when they express to their feminine, it's not trying to fix them, but allowing them space and holding the space for them to work through and express whatever's coming through and not trying to judge it or fix it, which I think is an old story is like men is like, if there's something wrong in a relationship or in a woman's life, it's like, we're trying to fix the problem rather than just holding space and allowing it to be. And I think, presence is the real key. And that's really what heals. If, if you can be present with somebody without trying to think about the issues or solving the problems, like that person has their own intuition and their own knowing. And so they can kind of work through it just by it being able to express in a safe container for you to actually listen to them. Um, talk about highlighting. So we, I mean, I, this is what I really wanted to talk about. We're kind of so deep into the conversation already, which I love. So talk about your journey into highlining, what that actually is. I know we connected uh, a few months ago and you, sh- you shared with me and I, you sent me a couple of videos and we can put those, you can send me those YouTube links because I would love to put it in the show notes for people to check out because it is really some impressive stuff. So I'd love to hear about your journey. Um, describe highlining a little bit, your journey with it and um, kind of the impact and power it's had in your own life. Yeah, so <clears throat> highlining is a balance practice. It's very similar to tightrope walking, except the dynamics and the material in which we're walking and how we're walking is, is different. Um, so with a tightrope, you'll end up having a steel cable with some guy wires or also known as Calvetti wires that help create stability. And then the tightrope walker will end up walking with a pole that ends up being like 30 to 40 feet long so that they're able to stabilize and, and use as a counterbalance. Whereas with highlining, we are building anchors up in, in between canyons and the mountains. Um, and we have a harness and a leash attached to the line. And it's made out of either nylon or polyester, or like a, a hybrid blend between the two. Uh, webbing and it's it's about an inch wide um, and just a few millimeters thick and and we don't have anything to hold on to outside of ourselves to counterbalance on so we don't have this pull like it, it's all us and it's inspired by this sport uh, slack lining which is a very similar balance practice um, people do it on the beaches in parks in between trees and and that's where you start so. That's how I got into it. I was on a two inch high line in Flagstaff, Arizona. One of my doormates at the time had one and he set it up and I was really curious and I tried and my balance was fucking awful. Mm, yeah, it's um, really challenging to do when you first get on it. It's super hard. And it's just and because like the nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's another thing we can do the lines over water. Um, but with the line, 
and, and most people's bodies and nervous systems, they don't know how to ground down into something that has the potential to move underneath them when they put energy into it. And this is something that took me a little while to understand um, is that the line is just the line. It's not doing anything. It doesn't move until you make it move. And if you want to stabilize it, you make it stable. Um, it's not on the line to do that. So all of this energy that the line may distribute based off of how you move it to be able to hold on to that energy and ground that down is something super duper powerful. And that's something that I've really started to pick up from slacklining and highlining and then bringing back that back into the, into the park, um, just on the slack line is that like, I regulate my nervous system. I'm in control of my mental state of my center of my balance of my peace of my Zen. Like it's all on me. And I got a little bit of that when I would do powerlifting. I got a little bit of that when I was wrestling, but to be in a space where your nervous system thinks it's going to die because you're at this, this height. Um, and the only thing separating you from your potential death is a harness and a leash and a one inch bridge that is really wiggly when you put energy into it. So it's been able to allow me to understand my nervous system, tap into states of calm during chaos, and to also feel really fucking confident and grounded in my body. Mm. That's powerful. What's the furthest? Because I, I mean, I don't, it's, it's hard to really comprehend until you see this visually. So I'm definitely going to put some links in the show notes for you guys to check out because I mean, it is absolutely um, so impressive. So like, what's the furthest, uh, furthest you've walked and, and kind of at what height above the ground? And I'd also like to know, like, what was the first time you went from kind of the two feet above practicing to like actually going on like a cliff? Was it like a, a slow gradual, like, let me go a little bit higher? Because I guess once you decide to highline, you got to be high enough where if you fall, you're not actually going to hit the ground, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. So what was that journey like to get to a point where you're actually at the height of like a hundred plus feet above the ground. And then when you went out there, what was it like the first time you fell? So furthest, sorry, I'm just so intrigued. you're all good. No, dude, I'm following you. Um, man, it just started race. Uh, sorry. It just started pouring here in Austin. That's really cool. Mm. Um, so the furthest long that I've been on longest line, it was 520 meters out in, wow. Durango, Colorado. So what is that? It's like just over 1700 feet long. Wow. Um, and I think it was probably anywhere from like 500 to 700 feet high. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Is, is my guess. Highest line that I've been on was in Squamish, British Columbia. Um, and that was 1600 feet high. Oh and what is it like when you're up above the ground? Like, do you have to be so like not thinking about that, obviously, or is it something that's very real? Or like, when do you get like to a point where you're comfortable that, you know, you're falling, you're going to be good and you're just going to get back up all of it. Yeah. I mean, like that's part of the process. I think witnessing the thoughts that come up without attaching to them is actually what serves you in the long run, trying to completely, um, yeah, yeah. Just trying to avoid them doesn't work. You know, you can't just try to bypass this thought of like, holy shit, that's really high. I'm freaking out a little bit. But if you can just be like, okay, yeah, that's there. Mm. Um, 
it, it helps it dissipate a little bit more. It's, it's the same thing with like having an awareness practice within your meditation, you know, like instead of trying to avoid the thing that's coming up, just see that the thing is there and let it move through you and it dissipates super quickly. Same thing with emotions. Like if we just let the emotions that come up cycle through, as opposed to trying to pack them down, they're only there for like a minute to two minutes. Mm. Yeah, that's um, important to meditation. I was just going to say that like in the meditation practice about sitting with the resistance and just having an awareness of it and like allowing it to be there and allowing it to move and not creating the narrative and story that it kind of wants to draw you into where it like you get kind of lost in your thoughts where you can just kind of let go of your thoughts. And the more you train, the more you sit, the more you find stillness, the more you're able to bring that into your everyday life where if you feel a trigger coming up, you can have an awareness of it, stillness within yourself, not judge the story, not try and not have the story, but just let the story kind of pass through in real time. And you talked about like the nervous system and you know, there's all this science coming up about neural pathways and being able to train neural pathways. So like, I'm sure it's been just such a powerful, like acute experience of that meditation where like these really heightened things are coming up in your nervous system and you have to have the awareness and stillness to kind of move through them in real time. How has the Highline practice kind of accelerated that meditation practice into your everyday life? I'm sure it's like radically shifted everything, but just kind of explain that a little bit. Yeah. So it's, it's really helped with the meditation practice um, because the highlining is just a moving meditation. So to take this moving meditation and bring it to either like a seated meditation or laying meditation, I feel like I can drop in deeper because I have this experience of really dropping in deep with myself on the highline, having to, you know, trust, surrender, believe in myself that I can do this thing that requires sometimes immense amounts of focus. And then other times it requires like just fucking letting go and letting your body do the thing and, and get out of your mind and really just get into your heart um, and, and walk with your, your heart forward. Like I've had the experience of walking um, with just like such deep focus within my third eye, but then I'm like exhausted when I get off the line. And then sometimes when I lead with my heart forward. Like I'm not as tired. I feel like I've, I've been more aligned and more stacked throughout the body. Um, and, and it's allowed me to bring that into the way that I walk maneuver through the world and without having conscious awareness of it initially, it really helped me regulate my nervous system. And now that I've done more research and checked out a lot of like Andrew Huberman's work and these different techniques for upregulating the nervous system, downregulating the nervous system, knowing when it's useful to be able to do that. Um, Tell us a little bit more about that. The, the, what's his name? Andrew Huberman. Andrew Huberman. So what, what is the work that he does and, and how does it kind of explain it a little bit? Yeah. So he does a lot of work on the nervous system and being able to like center yourself and calm yourself. And a lot of the techniques that I've gotten from him are going from like a parasympathetic state, which is like rest and digest to a sympathetic state, which is like fight or flight. Um, and then vice versa. So like sometimes it serves us more when we're on high lines to be in a parasympathetic state. Um, especially these longer high lines, like you don't want to feel like you're so fired up and amped when really you just need to relax your body, be able to have your, uh, like your shoulders and your scapulas roll onto your back and not have a lot of movement. 
and, and keep your spine aligned so that you can walk these lines without falling. And then if you're trying to do a lot of like dynamic tricks and bounces, like it's probably going to be better to be more fired up, more um, reactive and not to say that flow isn't a part of that flow is a massive part of that. But as far as the different parts of your nervous system, like you don't want to be completely relaxed in that state. Mm. Yeah. It's so powerful. Cause I think a lot of people that maybe that they'll never highline in their life, but just the, 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 the shifting from parasympathetic to sympathetic and then back to parasympathetic and being able to have control over that and the tools to drop in and shift those states within yourself is a really powerful exercise. Something as simple as like getting cut off when you're driving and you just tap into that, you get triggered, you tap into that par- or that sympathetic state and you're just like, Oh, and you're just like so angry being able to take a few breaths and like really release that energy within the body and come back to like a calm state. What are some tools that people can, can use to, to start training that or working through that in kind of real life situations? Yeah. So before I drop into the tools, I just want to say like this, this is like a basic thing that we should have been taught as kids for the human experience, being able to tap into our own biology mm-hmm. and change our state when we need to based off of our breath. Um, and because it's so untapped right now and most people don't know about it, it's like, it's a fucking super pure or uh, it's a superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it's like the low hanging fruit for people to start to do this work is if you want to get into a parasympathetic state to be more rested, relaxed, calm, especially in, let's say you just got out of an argument, you want to calm down, go ahead and take inhales to either count of four to six, and then exhales for longer than whatever your inhale was. So if your inhale was four, do exhale to a count of six or eight. Um, and then vice versa, if you want to really fire yourself up, maybe you're going to go for a workout or a run. Um, then the thing to do is to have longer inhales and shorter exhales. Mm. So if you need to rest and relax, shorter inhales, longer exhales, if you need to amp yourself up, longer inhales, shorter exhales. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really, really powerful. Um, what is, how has Highline, you know, deepened your connection to, to spirit, to God, to your connection and being present? Has it really kind of helped you connect to that more? What has that journey been like? Yeah, big time. I mean, like these spots that we go to, to Highline are normally pretty secluded and they're just out in nature. So nature to me, and I want to preface by saying that I don't think cities and, um, places that have like a lot of urban population are separate from God. I believe everything is God, but I feel you really, really connect with God when you get out of the city and you're in nature and you have access to like clean water and um, a lot of plants, animals, bugs. Yeah, the vibration is different, right? City, city yeah. the energy is just so chaotic and dense and it's intense and you're feeling other people's energies because there's so many people in the same thing. So you don't even know how to separate what's yours, what's not. And then being out in nature, is just so pure and calm and centered. Not saying that totally. it's not experience, but yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. So, so I say that because they're both God. It's just one connects me deeper to God because it is my energy and I get to just experience the world. And 
with, with highlining, like we're going out to these spots in nature that are pretty untapped for the most part. There's not too many people around and it feels like the greatest communion that I can have with God. And then to be in this space of creation of expanding life. And I feel like that's, that's what God, the universe source is all about is continuing to create more life. And that's what I feel our purpose um, is as aspects of the universe is to enhance the universe, to bring more life force, more vitality into it. And when we're setting up this bridge out in nature, that's never been established before. Like that is just a beautiful embodiment of expanding the universe of, of bettering life, of creating more life from life. Um, and, and highlighting has really offered that opportunity for me. Yeah, it's beautiful. One thing that just came to me is, you know, this concept, like I think a lot of people in the, in the spiritual community are, are, it's almost like they, you know, they say they're from different star systems or star seeds that they're very kind of ethereal. They're in their, in their thoughts, trying to connect the spirit. And they're almost kind of trying to, they're, they're kind of, uh, what is it? What is the word I'm looking for? Kind of separated from the body, right? Disassociated from the body. They're, they're living very kind of in those high, um, kind of chakra states up here. Right. And you know, what I've found in my own practice is it, it really is about, you know, connecting even psychedelics. Like I think a lot of people, they, they use psychedelics almost, almost as an escape. They're trying to look for the answer. They're trying to live in that psychedelic space and access these higher levels of awareness and different dimensions and being ethereal. Talk about like the importance because just you talking about highlighting and being so connected into the body, like to be present on the line, you have to be so in your body, but also like connected in that, that expansive awareness of everything around you. Like talk about the importance of, of when you are trying to access these higher levels of awareness that the, the body is a part of the experience. That's what the vessel that we're using and how important it is to not only take care of the body, but to like really try and be in the body and be present with the body when so many people are really, you know, dissociating from the body as like this, this earthly thing. And I'm, I'm like trying to be spiritual and like, you know, access these higher levels. Yeah. There's a lot there. So I'm going to do my best okay. to answer that. I feel and it's like you said, you know, like the body is the vehicle in which we get to experience life here. And if all we're, if a lot of us are going into these ethereal realms of trying to leave the body as frequently as possible, then what's the point of even having a body? What's the point in like being a human and having this experience, this earthly experience that you came here to, to live and to experience and, and not to say that like going out into astral realms or ethereal experiences and like in the higher chakras, like there's anything wrong with that. But what's most important for me, and I think a lot of the spiritual community can learn from is like taking those lessons and grounding them down into the body to make this experience within the body that much better. Um, and, and that within itself ripples out to other bodies. And something that I've really learned about the nervous system is like the more work that you can do within your nervous system, especially relaxing your nervous system, more other people's nervous systems around you start to ease and calm down because by you just being that authentic version of yourself by embodying this deeper state of relaxation, then it gives permission to their nervous systems to do the same when they may not have people in their lives that have nervous systems that allow them to relax. You know, like so many people are like turned on and triggered um, mm. and in that sympathetic state without ever taking a pause to just like fucking breathe and get back to the parasympathetic. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, like just getting back to the body, circling back, it, it's our vehicle for this experience. And if you're constantly trying to leave it, you're probably not going to have the depth of the experience here that you're yeah. capable of having. Yeah. And I think, I mean, like it's, it's, it's hard, right? Cause it, it, the body is mortal. The body experiences pain, you know, experiences suffering. This experience is not always easy. It's very challenging. There's a lot of growth, but it's, and it's, it takes a lot of courage to look at all that stuff and really accept it, move through it, not judge it. I think a lot of people maybe have, you know, body image issues. I know I've worked through my own being a 300 pound lineman and losing weight. I still kind of, you know, judge myself and look at myself in the mirror. And it's easy to like see the body, not as this divine vehicle and gift and this temple that we get to really, it's a, it's a gift to, to experience through. And a lot of people dissociate from that. And I think it's so important to, to look at that. Um, yeah. I mean, dude, I've, I've been the same way for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I would probably still be in the depths of being in that aspect of the experience if it wasn't for the slack line and it being this tool that really allowed me to ground down into my body because I was so focused on like the power lifting and the bodybuilding and how my body looked, but I wasn't actually in my body while I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I love what you said because circling back to, to, to when you can, you know, that nervous system and the energy you're carrying around. I think a lot of people, when they look out into the kind of culture and society we've created, it's very divisive, right? And like everybody has so many different opinions about stuff, different perspective. And, you know, one thing to realize is there's 8 billion people on the planet, all with their own profoundly unique experience and perspective of life. And so not having a judgment. And I think a lot of people get caught in you know, seeing the other person and wanting to change their mind, like, especially, you know, in, in my life, I've, I've accessed these higher levels where I've done a lot of my own deep healing. And so I've learned a lot. And so naturally when I first, and I think a lot of people who go on first start waking up to these, you know, realities and this work, it's natural that they want to help the people they love. You know, they don't, they see them in their suffering and they just, you know, I, I see your pain, like, here's the answer. And that never works because what I've found is as soon as I try and say something I've learned or try and tell somebody how they can be better or whatever, they, it creates this resistance and it's almost, I'm trying to create an outcome and pull something out of them. And that energy probably will either make them defensive. They feel like they have to defend themselves and their, their kind of sympathetic nervous system starts getting triggered and they get heightened. And then you start feeling that. And I think the real, the real way to shift people is through your being right. And through your energy. And like you talked about when you have a calm parasympathetic nervous system and you go and you're able to have a conversation and you're not, you're not getting triggered by the conversation and you're just holding that presence in that space and that energy. That's really what heals others that it, they, because they tend to come into resonance. And if they're getting triggered and they're like kind of pushing the energy on you and you're just really kind of calm and not taking it on it, like, that's really the the journey of the alchemist is being able to alchemize that energy into love and presence. And it really dissipates the situation. And, you know, I, I really, I, you know, I talked about earlier in the show, like growing up Christian had a lot of resistance to God and Jesus and the Bible. And I've actually through my own work have circled back and really have gotten to connect with Jesus in a different way and like who he was and what he was embodying. And, you know, just really looking at his journey and, you know, a lot of the stories around him, like healing people and I truly believe it wasn't like he had these superpowers where he like touched somebody and they healed because he was this, this God. It's because he did the work and, and embodied such loving presence that his, his energy was so calm and pure that just his presence walking down the street, like people coming in contact with it, that would, it would heal them. It would, it would drop them and their nervous system into that resonance. And I think that's really 
the goal when you're on this path. If you really want to show up and be of service to people, it's not about having the answers because really, I mean, this whole podcast, they talk about the unanswerable questions of the universe. Like we don't ever, like nobody actually knows. There's so much subjective experience. Like even your psychedelic experiences, like, like that might not make sense for people. And like, well, and they're trying to drop into like, oh, was this image? But it's just, it's just different. It's like the way your psyche and the universe kind of connects and talks to you. But it's really about the energy that you can learn to embody. And it's really coming back to that unconditional love of, of, of others. And in order to get to that state, you have to really find that love for yourself first, because everything is just a mirror. And if you can really fully unconditionally love yourself and who you are and drop into the body and love the body and be grateful for it all, then that really radiates in your experience becomes what your internal environment is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just going back to the first point, like trying to change your parents or change your friends or change your family and those people that you love around you that you see are in their pain um, maybe in their own darkness and you found a way to step out of yours a little bit more or just alchemize it within the body, um, that pain into medicine for yourself. Like if you want to change any of those people around you, the best way to do it is to change yourself. Mm, And, and then those that feel called because they see where you have been and where you are now, and they'll start to ask questions and get curious. Like those that end up asking the questions and get curious will just naturally follow and you won't have to do anything. It really just comes back to that being. And this is still a practice for me that I'm learning, but it's been something that keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up is that like, it's in the being, you know, like the way that I be is going to speak louder volumes than what I do. hundred percent, hundred percent. I love it. Let's talk about the last topic, which, you know, I ask everybody, uh, you know, this idea of, of death. So I'd love to get your perspective on, on what you think happens when you die. And I, I, and your perspective, obviously, you know, being on the slack line and stuff, you've probably had to confront your own death, like being on a high line, you know, it's very kind of a visceral experience of I, if I fell and this thing broke or whatever, like I would literally fall to my death and, and having to confront that, what kind of impact has confronting your own death had on your ability to live more fully and, and kind of what do you think happens? Let's explore the concept of kind of after death and what that's like. Yeah. So with the high line, and this kind of circles back to a question that you asked earlier as to like my first time highlining and what that felt like, um, when I fell, like it was a little nerve wracking and I, yeah, I just wasn't expecting what it would feel like, but knowing that I fell and the line caught me, was a super special feeling. And I had just this neural connection of like, oh, that was, that was a death. So every single time I whip on the line, it's a simulated death. And if I've done that hundreds of times and in its own way, I've, I've added to these potential, this potential death count that I've had, so to speak. Um, and it's it's really allowed me to face that this human experience is impermanent. You know, like if I didn't have that harness and the leash and I still try to do the thing and I fell like that would be it. So I, I do this sport not because I am like trying to chase death. It's because I love life so much and I see how this extends my life and my ability to show up for my life. Mm. Um, and I think the fear that I have the most around death is not fulfilling the potential that I know I'm capable of fulfilling here before I die. It's, it's not the death itself. It's what I 
could do and who I could be here and leaving this place without having done that or being that. Um, and then when it comes to like what I think happens after death, like reincarnation kind of feels like it's, it's a thing that happens, but ultimately it just feels like a transfer of energy. Like it's, it's like the, the body is no longer yours to maneuver around and to utilize that goes back to the earth. Um, so that energy transforms and then the energy of your spirit, the subatomic particles that we're all composed of that transfers and transitions into something else. But that is, I have no fucking idea, yeah. but, um, it, it doesn't feel like death is this thing that is an end of something. It just feels like a transition. And if you look at like the death of someone that you love, that always brings together more life and more people and more connection. And even within that, that's a transition of like change of life of, of more energy coming together. Um, which sometimes can be difficult to really feel into because it's someone that you love that you're not going to be able to connect with in the same form that you've been able to for quite a while. Um, but that doesn't mean they're gone, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, the only absolute truth that I've really found in my experience is impermanence, right? Everything is constantly shifting. There's, we're pretty much dying and being reborn in every single moment, right? And I think death is the, the ultimate unknown and it's natural to fear the unknown. And I think, you know, until you can really fully confront and look at your death and your mortality, you're not really going to have the sense of urgency to understand that this life is finite. It's a gift. And at least in this unique expression that we have, maybe we come back in a different expression. It would definitely be different. And I, I do believe there's this, this energy that stays, this essence of our soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it, that kind of learns the lessons in multiple lifetimes. Um, but I think it is that, like that higher self, that higher knowing, because even, even in my own life, and I'm sure you can like look back, like I feel like I've lived so many lives just in this physical life, right? Like every time I've gone from high school to college and then college to the pros, then you know, Falcons to the Bucks, then retirement, like every single time I go into a new environment, I have to kind of transform myself. I I'm growing, I'm evolving, I'm dying of an old way of being and, and stepping anew. But if I look back on myself when I'm a kid and through all those experiences, there's still something in me that's the same. There's this essence of who I am. And I think it's just remembering who I am as I'm growing and evolving in this human experience of really embodying that more fully. And it's almost like this journey of coming back to the innocence of a child, right? Like that pure essence of when we were a kid and then we kind of, the world programs us and, and indoctrinates us into like how to be successful, what it means to be happy and all these things that get pushed on us. And so we create these fears and these, these unworthiness stories. And, and, you know, when someone didn't love us the way we wanted and that, like, we're looking externally for all this validation and like the journey is to really heal that so they can come back into that, that pure presence and essence of who you are. But for me to look at my own life in this physical reality and how many lifetimes I feel like I've lived, how many experiences, and I feel like I'm just getting started. Like there's so much more to happen. Of course, just if the physical body dies, there's, you know, some essence that continues on and, you know, just, just keeps on, keeps on going. What that looks like. I don't know. I think some of the questions is like, yeah, like reincarnation coming in in different forms. I think understanding the infinite nature of reality and like timelines, I don't think it's as linear as like our human experience feels. So it's not like even past and future lifetimes is kind of hard to even explain in that, in that kind of process. Cause I think when we do die of the physical body, there is no more 
linear time. It's kind of the awareness of everything, which, you know, when you experience like something like 5-MeO-DMT, you, uh, you actually have a visceral experience of what that's like. It's hard to bring that back into this, this physical human experience because we are so limited, right? And I think part of the problem collectively is people attach so much to like, they think they know. And like the wisest people I know in this world have gone on the path and realized, oh, it's unknowable. It's ineffable. Like you you can't be known. And so it's almost as if the universe created this desire to know itself through us. So we're, we're, we're searching and trying to find the answer and trying to find certainty, but it's, it's so out of our grasp that it keeps us kind of searching in this unknowable environment, which creates the experience of infinity. Because if there was an answer, if there was a final end to it, then it would never exist in the first place because there would be an end point. And so, yeah. Man, you articulated that so beautifully. Oh, thanks, dude. I got lost there for a second. I was like, oh man, because it's so hard to explain. It's like, and that's like all spiritual texts, right? Like all spiritual teachings, like the most powerful stuff. And that's why it's such a problem when like, you know, like religions take these spiritual texts and try to make them so literal because it's, it's a paradox. We can't actually pinpoint the exact truth. So everybody that's, you know, speaking wisdom speaks in metaphors and poems and this creative understanding. That's why all real powerful spiritual texts and sayings and teachings, there's multiple layers. And as you kind of raise your consciousness and your, and shift your perspective, you can look at the same teaching and have a whole different lens in which to view it, but it's the same words. Right. And so it's this constant unfolding. And that's why, you know, having to try and speak in metaphor is trying to understand when it's just the, the paradox means it's really un, un, understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Because like it completely shifts, like you could attach yourself to one end of the paradox and the other side of the paradox is just equally as true. Mm. Yeah. It's the, it, we, we live in this kind of like binary reality of duality where it's like, you know, we either think things are true or false or right or wrong. And we, we lose the fact that, you know, I read somewhere that, you know, when you have two choices, there's only two choices, but if you introduce two other choices, so things can be true, they can be false. They can be both true and false or neither true and false. So when you go from those two choices to those four choices, it goes from binary choice to infinite possibility. And I think that's when we need to start introducing stuff that even when we talk about, you know, politics and, you know, you know, the, the environment, like all these things, it's like, we're, we're, we, we've created such separation that you have to like go into these tribal belief systems where it's like, we can't come to the table and be like, what if it's both? And how can we pull things from all these different perspectives and try and make, you know, a more coherent thing that's evolving us collectively and as a society and as a culture where it's not necessarily, none of, nobody knows what's right and wrong. How can we make it both? And, and try and, you know, create a better experience for all. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because you like really look at society and this whole it's one or the other, and it can't be the both and, and then you have to pick a side. And then by picking that side, the other side is wrong. Mm. And, and a lot of people are fighting for just this feeling of being right when like, maybe we're all just fucking wrong. And what would set us free is just admitting that, that we don't know the answers. But I think so many people are so fixated on knowing the answer and holding on to that with white knuckles. Mm. Um, yeah, it takes a lot of courage, right? And that's the whole of, of letting go. It's like you have to to let go and surrender is to, to to fall into the unknown and know that there is this greater intelligence that is guiding you, that that has your best interest at heart, that is teaching you, that is loving you. And even in our human experience, like to even widen the perspective out of like something traumatic happening and someone dying, like there is 
you know, on a wider perspective, we not be, not, might not be able to make sense of it in this life, but there is a bigger experience happening that is outside of our realm of, of experience that, you know, if we can really just trust and, and have faith, right? Like, you know, growing up in a religious household, like I, I never really understood blind faith. Like, you know, the church always talks about like, have faith, have faith. But for me, I've really learned over even the last year, like what, what is faith? What is real faith? And I think faith is learned and earned through experience. And to have real faith is to fully surrender and trust that whatever's coming through you wants to be experienced through you is what you're meant to be having. And that's, you know, really coming back to, uh, can you be as present as possible with the experience, with the pain, with the suffering, with all the emotions, with the joy, with the happiness, and really just embody that and trust and have faith that all is exactly how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I, I really come back to this whole, you belong everywhere that you find yourself. And if it wasn't for being in that experience, if, if it wasn't for you being meant to be in that experience, you wouldn't be there. Mm. And, and with that, I've been able to find a lot of faith and just knowing that like, I've been fucking guided, supported, taken care of, even if like, I don't feel that my bank account always reflects that I'm still like, I've always been fucking good. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Not attaching to that and really knowing that it's uh it's all going to work out. Um, Okay. Final kind of thought. I'd love to get your perspective on kind of, we're talking about like the collective energy, what's going on. Obviously we've been through a pretty crazy couple of years that things are shifting pretty rapidly, not just, you know, environmentally, but like socially, politically, um, you know, the exponential growth of technology. I just, I think about like, you know, cause you know, it's, it's easy to get into the the grind mode of like, I'm, I'm building a business. I'm, I'm doing this and I'm projecting out like, I want to invest and plan for the future and make sure I'm taken care of. And like, what am I, what's my kid going to grow up into? And like thinking about and realizing like, I can't like what Luca, he's four months old right now, what he's going to be doing when he's 10 years old, like the entire world is going to be completely different. And so it's, it's hard to project on what that reality is going to be like, cause we're shifting and we're on this kind of hockey stick curve of what the world's going to be like. And, you know, I think I, I love to explore it and think about different possibilities. I think it's real, literally unknowable because there's so many variables, but I'd love to get your perspective on kind of what you think, you know, this period is kind of leading us to and what the next maybe five, 10 years looks like and what kind of world we're, we're headed into. Are you uh, optimistic, pessimistic? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I think so. I feel ultimately I'm optimistic. I do feel that there is a lot of polarization and I feel like that will continue to perpetuate and evolve and expand. And I have a feeling that we are going to be a lot more um, divisive before we end up being in a place of like absolute unity. If that even ends up happening, I'm optimistic. I feel like that's, that's a potential possibility, of course, but I, you know, man, I, I think we're going to dive deeper in the space of separation before we're in this space of just complete connection. Um, what that looks like, I'm not entirely sure. I think for myself, ideally, I would love to be in a space to, to lead and facilitate the expansion of consciousness through the high line, the slack line, to these different modes and modalities of healing, especially around breath work and authentic relating. Um, don't really feel like I need to be the one that serves plant medicine. 
right now, especially within the next five to 10 years. I think there's more than enough people and I have different tools and unique skill sets that I can bring to the table. Um, but ultimately, like five to 10 years from now, I really see a lot of people waking up. Um, I even see that right now with like these people that are going through their own healing journey and then feeling the call to create spaces, centers, um, retreats for others to experience the same. And I feel that those, I mean, speaking for myself, and this probably resonates too, is once you go through this state of healing and you kind of see what's possible for yourself and the world, you feel a responsibility to give that back. Mm-hmm. And I, I see a lot more people feeling that same responsibility as they continue to go through their own journey. And um, on a soul level, I don't think everybody's supposed to wake up at the same time. I think a lot of us are supposed to be asleep for a bit, go through the experience of waking up, maybe just a little bit, falling back asleep, going through those lessons. And then others are supposed to go through the lessons of like waking up a little bit faster, holding space for that. And then having the experience of ushering in new consciousness. And, um, I think, I think the kids that come into the world five to 10 years from now, and especially as they get older, they're just going to be on a whole nother level of consciousness and they're not going to have to deal with a lot of the same shit that we did growing up. I feel that. I feel that. And and my son, Luca, he's just got this really, really pure, powerful energy and I'm really grateful, like me healing a lot of my own kind of ancestral trauma and the things that have been passed down to me, creating an environment for him to to really hang on to that innocence and to his essence and to the things that like doing my best not to program him um, and just being present and guiding him and allowing him to fully express who he is um, as he is. And I think the more of us doing the healing, especially raising children in a more healthy environment is really going to give them a kind of head start into um, really accessing those higher levels of awareness and embodying that kind of pure essence of love and connection and unity, like you talked about. And I love the, you know, I definitely resonate with that. I think, and I've, all the people I've seen, when you do start waking up and, and looking into yourself and doing your own healing work and working on, you know, forgiveness, forgiveness of others, forgiveness of self, forgiveness of, you know, God, even of like, why me? And like being able to have faith and let go of that, you naturally start feeling so much better. So healed and you start becoming passionate about helping the ones you love and showing up to be of service to others. And I think that's happening kind of exponentially. Um, And I think, you know, it's going to happen. I'm hoping happen faster than we think, you know, and, and really start infiltrating our society and our collective and, and we'll definitely see what happens. And I'd love for you to share. Let's talk a little bit about kind of how you're showing up to be of service. I know you're starting this new uh, coaching mentorship program uh, with elite athletes. So you want to share a little bit about that. Um, if there's maybe any elite athletes, kind of what specific elite athletes you work with um, and how they can kind of find you and what the program's all about, if they really are interested in working with you. Yeah. So I'm in the beta phase of my program. It's called the athletic performance accelerator. Um, it's five modules and I pretty much just mapped out the process of highlighting from collecting your gear at home, packing your bags, going and scoping out the line to setting up the line, giving attention to learning how to stand, fall, get yourself back up, take steps, and then leading into sending the line embodiment and then bring the line down and bringing all those lessons back home 
So I've put metaphors into each step of the process that has to do with mindfulness and connection with yourself and your ability to perform. And yeah, it's, it's really dope. I have a few athletes that I'm working with right now, uh, none at the elite level. And initially, like, I really wanted to work with high level pro athletes, but as I'm like getting the reps and still in the introductory phase of this form of coaching for myself, um, I'm kind of just open to any athlete that wants to reprogram their subconscious mind, understand how to regulate their nervous system, dial in their routines and the rituals and their habits that allow them to perform at a high level and to step up as pretty much whatever their level 99 version of themselves is um, their ideal movie character and to really start to change their self-image so that that's, that's their center as opposed to this negative self-image and this one that perpetuates all this negative self-talk and doubts and insecurities. Um, yeah. So just restructuring that that's, that's a lot of what the program is called. It's called the athletic performance accelerator. And yeah, it's something that I've, I've just been channeling for the past four months now. And we, we had a call earlier a few months ago and you really gave me some beautiful insight as to high level athletes and the things that they go through. And I, I did that with nine other athletes and got really clear as to like, what are a lot of athletes problems and struggles. And I put together things that I feel are answers to a lot of those problems. And so far what I've put together is working for the athletes that are running through it. Mm, yeah. So, you know, using the, the highlining journey as a metaphor to really help anybody that's looking to like increase their performance. You know, I know you, your, your vision is to work with like professional athletes in kind of like, you know, I guess like football, basketball, like that kind of thing, but you are working with you know, X game kind of athletes, extreme sports, you know, even if you want to highlight anybody that needs to want is desiring to perform at a higher level, become more present, connect to that flow and intuition and allow it to work through can really get something out of, out of what you're offering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I really alchemized the pain that I experienced when it came to performing and being an athlete into medicine through my own embodiment and everything that I teach are things that I've been doing anywhere from like six months to a few years. And I really wanted to create a program that I needed a few years ago that instead of taking me a few years to learn would only take me three months to get down mm. and would just create a new foundation, a new base in which I got to perform and elevate from. Beautiful. Really powerful. Where can people find, uh, if they're interested, where can they find more information and where can they find, you know, how to connect with you? Yeah. So all of that's just going to be on Instagram. Um, just go ahead and look up Slack Cam Nelson. That's me. And shoot me a DM if you're interested and we can talk about the program. Don't have a website for it. Eventually I will, but that's just not where I'm at right now. And then I also have a podcast. It's called The Line to Mastery. I have an Instagram page for that. I'm active on it every single time I release a podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the major podcast platforms. And it's all about self-mastery, highlining, uh, psychedelics, music, human optimization. Like really, I just wanted to 
create this platform that allowed me to master myself and become the type of person that could hold a high level podcast and to just have really engaging conversations and to bring value to the lives of those that listen to it, to my own life. Um, and yeah, it's been just one of the most potent tools for really honing in my voice, um, for moving through different trauma and, and pain and just showing up as my authentic self. Beautiful. I feel the same way. Like podcasting in a selfish way has been so profound in my own life, you know, like obviously wanting, wanting the podcast to be successful and get big. And, but like, if I take away all of those kind of attachments to outcome and come back to like the journey over the last year of podcasting, it's, it's helped my, my personal growth and my confidence and my ability to hold conversation and be curious with somebody and like kind of pull information out of them and just share wisdom. It's, it's had such a profound impact. I, I just love it so much as a medium. Um, all that will be in the show notes. If you guys are listening, definitely reach out to Cam, um, subscribe to his podcast. Cause I'm actually, we're going to do an interview in a few days where I'm going to be back on his podcast. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. So you can kind of, we're going to flip the table a little bit and, uh, you're going to hear a lot more from me. Um, and really excited about that. Um, for those of you who are coming to a close here, for those of you that are premium members, make sure you stick around. We're going to have Cam on for our extended episode. Um, which is, we're going to ask him what his secret to the universe is, which I'm really excited to get his perspective. If you're not a premium member, you can go to the a link in the show notes. It's $7 a month access to a bunch of premium content, like these extended episodes, a lot of fun. It really goes a long way in supporting the podcast. I got a team on the back end that really helps me produce this thing. Um, and so just, if you feel called to support it financially, plus getting access to premium content, I would really appreciate the support. If it's, you know, something you don't feel called to do. That's totally cool. If you really want to support this podcast, it would go a long way if you just, you know, left a five-star review, said some nice words about this episode, about Cam, about myself. And uh, if anything in this episode resonated with you, or you think it might have an impact on somebody, you know, uh, go ahead and, and share this podcast with them. It would really, really be uh, helpful. And um, thank you so much for everybody that listened. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe. You can do the same thing, share it with anybody. Uh, that you think might resonate with it. And uh, yeah, reach out to Cam. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome, brother. Thank you. It's been fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, peace. Peace.